Support for Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome to Health Matters. I am your ho-ho host and radio health evangelist, Dr. Tony Weaver. This is the Fred Cox and the True Meaning of Christmas show. Thanks to our listeners at True Talk Internet Radio, special radio wave to those hardworking folks at the MSU Ronald G. Eagling Space Science Center. I have two co-ho-ho hosts here to talk about all things medical and all things Christmas. First, from the University of Kentucky Assistant Professor with the Physician Assistant Program, Shelley Irving. Hi, Shelley. Hello. And as always, to explain to you in excruciating detail how to find us on the internet from the University of Kentucky Executive Director of Networking and Infrastructure, Rick Phillips. Hey, Rick. Hey, Tony. You're you're an on air bully. He's a Scrooge. He's a well, <laughs> and a bully. If you want to hear more of the bully, go to wmky.org. That is the audio side of of what we do. You can find that on Morehead State Public Radio's website. Again, wmky.org. Find the list of shows, listen to the link there. It'll, you know, if after you've listened and you just don't know what else to do, well, you could go find the interactive portion of Health Matters, which is on Facebook. We have a fan page, facebook.com slash show. There you can leave us feedback. It is your way to interact with us. You can find that fan page at facebook.com slash show. Our sponsor for today's show, the Hazard Holidays from the Consumer Product Safety Commission, and their motto, no before you ho, ho, ho. That's right. Let's play it safe this Christmas. I've got some data here first from them. Uh, As far as toys go, in 2018, there were 166,200 toy-related emergency department-treated injuries and 17 deaths to children younger than age 15. Most of the deaths, either a riding toy or choking on small parts. I cannot stress this enough. Keep the balloons, keep the small marbles, keep those small parts away from your young children. This is one of the major causes of toy-related deaths or toy-related emergency room visits. Toy recalls still declining. 12 recalls in fiscal year 2019, one involving a lead violation. That's compared to 172 back in 2008. And I think some of our international suppliers have kind of brought their manufacturing up to standards may be the main thing. Recall toys were uh, choking, fire, burn, laceration hazards were the main things they were recalled for. The number of injuries associated with scooters, non-motorized scooters, dropped from 2014 down to uh, lower levels in 2018. I don't have the numbers. As far as cooking, cooking fires, the number one cause of residential fires, average of 1,800 cooking fires on Thanksgiving Day, four times the number on any other day of the year. (laughs) I do not think it's the uh, sweet potato casserole. You know, I, I think that's, uh, uh, I'm looking at turkey. I'm looking at turkey and turkey and turkey. That's green bean casserole, that has caught on fire before. You sure you're not talking about deep fried turkey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, that's one of the things that, one of their tips is don't do that or certainly don't do it next to your well, house. No, but I mean, do we always have to say don't do something? Can't we say do it smartly? Sure. Can't we? I mean, Roast have you ever oven. had deep fried turkey? Yes. Yes. It's really good. So you're telling me just don't do it? No, we're telling you to roast it in the oven. That's not the same. It doesn't taste the same. Only fry a turkey outside and away from your home. I mean, what you do is basically... Because that's exactly where you spend Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's, it, you think about, take a basketball, and if you can launch a basketball and hit your house, <laughs> then you need to move further away. <laughs> don't do it inside your garage or on your porch, and don't overfill the oil in the fryer. They, they, so they didn't say. They said only fry it outside. But you said don't do it. 
Well, at some point, you've got to recognize that, uh, uh, all right, here we go. In the last two decades, 218 fire or burn incidents involving turkey fryers. 218, 81 injuries, 218, 81 injuries, and $9.7 million in property loss. Now, think of another thing you do on Thanksgiving Day that could result in $9.7 million in property loss. Well, now, wait a minute. That's 218 out of how many? The, the odds might still be worth it. I was going to say, it's out of several trillion dollars worth of real estate that's having you know, yeah. parties yeah. that afternoon. Yeah. I'm still doing the math. I, I understand, but do you get sliced turkey, $9.7 no, million just, dollars in your pocket? You're just easily amazed with large numbers. <laughs> I absolutely am. <laughs> you got me. What if I said you can't use a chainsaw to cut down trees because that's the most dangerous way to cut down a tree? Well, I think I get something good out of that that's not digestible. Do you? Yeah. But does it still keep you from cutting your leg off? I have True. not done that. More it's than harder to cut your leg off with a hatchet. Let's be only honest. a couple of times. True. <laughs> I'm just saying, at some point, you know, Hi, why are we you defending turkey? Because frying? I had I had deep fried turkey this Christmas, this oh, Thanksgiving. and you did it yourself. No, my dad did it. Your dad did. We did didn't he? burn anything down. Did he do it in the carport or did it on the back porch? Which we all didn't really want him to, but uh, you know, my right. dad. You know, he, right. dad. I know you don't listen to the show, so you know, you stubborn. Uh, you know what. <laughs> Uh, you know, he should have, he shouldn't, and he's got to clean his porch now, which is funny because it always overflows a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it, it splatters it's out. Do not overfill the oil in the turkey. Well, he didn't. Party. He That's actually from didn't the Consumer overfill. Product Safety Commission. He actually measured the water, and, you know, he used water to measure the, the turkey and or the level of oil you need. And, mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. At some point, that stuff just it gets hot and boils, and it splatters out just a little bit. Decorating. On average, there are 200 decorating injuries each year. Majority now of that we falls. can say don't do. Uh, and in the 2017 holiday season, 18,000 people treated in emergency rooms due to holiday decorating. Do you decorate your injuries. house, Tony? No. Uh, nobody sees it. We're way back off the road. So you're a Scrooge. In the, I said no, that earlier. We're, we're way back off the road. No, no, no. no. You're a Scrooge. It, it's not about what everybody else thinks. It's about what you think of it. I put some ornaments on a tree uh, out in the pasture field next to the horse. I think that's... Festive, I think. <laughs> Festive for who? I get to every time I drive down my driveway. I, I believe see the tree. you're a Scrooge. I think he need that must be where he roasts his or deep fries his turkey. It's out in the field next to the tree, in the pasture. I, if it becomes airborne, I, I there's plenty of room. <laughs> in the 2018 holiday season, five deaths associated with holiday decorating, a hundred Christmas tree fires. Uh, from 2014 to 2016, uh, 1,100 candle fires, 10 deaths, 150 injuries, $50 million in property damage on each of those years from 2014 to 2016. So, again, these are very festive and very dangerous times, and the Consumer Product Safety Commission wants you to know the facts, and we'll talk about some helpful tips, including don't fry a turkey on your porch in our next fractional portion that's our sponsor, Hazardous Holidays from the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Now, first of all, to tell you about Fred Cox and the true meaning of Christmas. Fred Cox was a place kicker for the Minnesota Vikings, and unfortunately, he died uh, on November 22nd. He was 80 years old. Now, he was a straight-on kicker. None of this uh, side-slinging, one-step back and two steps over kind of guy. He would run up on the ball using a square-toed shoe and kick it straight forward through the uprights. Scored 100, I'm sorry, scored a 1,365 points, the second most in NFL history at the time of his retirement. He played for the Minnesota Vikings, 1970, 74, 75, and 77. All of those, they were in the Super Bowl and they lost every one of them. Not necessarily because of his kicking. Um, 
But here's the Fred Cox and the true meaning of Christmas. Um, in 1971, a local entrepreneur, John Maddox, approached him with an idea for a backyard field goal kicking game for youngsters. And Maddox was going to make a really heavy football so it wouldn't travel very far and the kids could kick it and they wouldn't have to, you know, have to have a football field. Neighbor. Yeah. And uh, you can imagine, uh, you know, if you get into a bowling ball kicking contest, things are not going to go well the next These day. These would be pretty padded. Yeah. So, so Cox said, no, you don't want to have a heavier ball. Let's try something light that they can't kick very far because it's just too light to kick. And they got a local company, Ejection Molding Company, to create a prototype. And they created, Fred Cox, in 1971, created the Nerf football. Sure. Makes perfect sense. Everybody's used them. Yes. Great for throwing at your brother. You grow up among boys and you, in the 1970s. Thanksgiving and Christmas were all about Nerf football games. Yep. Those were the most amazing things. As a matter of fact, uh, they were making it independently. They went to Parker Brothers, who had been making Nerf balls, and they had, uh, if you if you know a Nerf football, it's more compact than the regular Nerf balls. Well, the Nerf people started with foam balls and could not get anything that remotely approached a football. This is the single best product the Nerf people have ever made, uh, especially if you are the father of a high school boy or if you yourself are a high school boy. It is absolutely amazing. Sold tens of millions, first for Parker Brothers and now for Hasbro. Cox retired in 1977, became a chiropractor. Uh, and recently died at age 80. So our salute to Fred Cox, uh, the man who made Nerf, the foam Nerf football, the stalwart of high school competition. <clears throat> I want to meet the guy who created the jart, the yard dart. Like the yard dart. Because those are completely banned in the U.S. now. Oh, they're, they're, they're horrible. And when they're, they don't, I mean, you can't even buy them on eBay. It's illegal to buy them anymore mm-hmm. and sell them. It was one of my favorite things as a kid, I have to be honest. <laughs> well, everybody you know did. I mean, we I would mean, play you could take some rocks and some lead pipes, and you could probably create a reasonable facsimile of jarts uh, that you can throw in the air uh, to uh, over the your uh, I mean, I'm not kidding. Head. We would throw the jart over the house and try to hit the <laughs> hit the circle in the backyard. We would stand in the front yard, throw the jart over the house, and try to get to the backyard. Mm-hmm. Did ever did anything ever go wrong? The neighbors, kids, we were all doing it. I know, but nothing ever went I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Dad participated in it. Well, I mean, didn't you hit the gutter or something sometimes? <laughs> That's just something work for somebody to do on the weekend. <laughs> okay, I'm just curious because I think that may be what gave you the confidence to fry turkeys on the porch. It gave me confidence to do a lot more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you stories, Tony. <laughs> but but yeah, lawn games and, and, and nerf footballs. That's just great. Yeah, it's what you it's what you do. Just think of all the nerf things that have come about since the football. Well, I know, and they've got all the things that you Indoor shoot out nerf of guns basketball at people and so forth. You, know, you the, could dunk yes. the ball in the house finally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the but you can't really dribble a nerf basketball. No, you but know, you can dunk it. Who in the house yeah. who dribbles? You dunk. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. the thing about a nerf football is it worked just like a football. It was just smaller and lighter. Any kid could throw it. Well, and, and you, and you, could, you could put a nice spiral on it and throw yeah. it a long way. Yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing product. All right, I'm going to set up our second fractional portion because this is, hands down, the most amazing uh, case report study that You're I hear have about. seen in a year. Yeah, uh, easily. Uh, in the second so fractional We started about, uh, start, let's talk about the, the boring stuff, Parkinson's disease. A long-term 
progressive degenerative disorder of the central nervous system that mainly affects your motor system. As it worsens, as it becomes more pervasive, you do get some non-motor symptoms. Um, the most obvious things, you get a tremor. They call it a pill-rolling tremor of the hands, uh, sort of like you're rolling a pill between your fingers. Uh, a rigidity, difficulty in making facial expressions, difficulty in walking, difficulty in bending over, and then eventually it affects your thinking. Now, you can, one of the treatments for Parkinson's disease is placing microelectrodes into the brain and using deep brain stimulation to stimulate those nerves that have been affected by Parkinson's disease. That's going to play a key role in our case report we're going to talk about in our next fractional portion, and that is usually reserved for when drugs are ineffective. We'll let you ponder about that if you want to, or go throw a Nerf football, and we'll come back with our second fractional portion. You're listening to Health Matters on Moorhead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back. This is the second fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Michelle Irving. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver. This is the Fred Cox and the True Meaning of Christmas show. Again, our salute to Fred Cox, place kicker for the Minnesota Vikings, who recently passed away at age 80, but he was the inventor of the Nerf football, a staple around the Weaver home during the Thanksgiving holidays. For the second time, our sponsor, Hazardous Holidays from the Consumer Product Safety Commission, reminding you, you must know before you ho, ho, ho. Now, we talked last time about the numbers, the horrendous numbers of uh, people injured, the house fires, the damage coming from, I don't know, uh, foolish things like frying turkeys on your porch, for instance, just to, to name Just one example. Random. Yeah. It's a tasty <laughs> idea. There are tips. Uh, first of all, regarding toys. Follow age guidance and other safety information on toy packaging. Now, it's almost, in the Weaver family, it's almost a badge of honor that we don't get things that are age-appropriate. Our children and grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, they are so brilliant. They are just so smart that it would be an insult to give them a toy that actually says the age that they are. Yeah, I will I'm tell sure. you, you know, uh, the one the one exception to that. I mean, you know, and everybody's kids are this smart. They they like things that for, that the older kids have. Especially if you have an older brother or sister, just forget about those age appropriate things because you want to do what your brother and sister are doing. But I think once again, going back to it, the ones with small parts, the ones that a child could choke on, that is absolutely critical, and and that puts a lot of kids in the uh, hospital. Uh, even if the outcomes are good. Get safety gear, helmets scooter, helmets for scooters. Uh, helmets should be worn properly at all times and size to fit. I think the thing is, if you're going to give a child a skateboard, a scooter, or something like that, you include the safety equipment with it. Uh, you don't separate that out. You don't ask them to sit there on Christmas Day and look at their Christmas gifts and not be able to operate them safely. This, this is really important. Uh, keep small balls and toys with parts away from children younger than age three and keep deflated balloons away from children younger than age eight. Discard if, you, if a balloon breaks, uh, get, it, uh, get it away at once. Then as far as cooking, never leave food unattended on the stove or oven. Keep children away from the cooking area, flammable items like potholders and paper or plastic bags away from the stove, and only fry a turkey outside and away from your home. 
And then decorating tips, make sure your live Christmas tree has plenty of water. Look for the fire-resistant label if you have an artificial tree. Put burning candles in sight. You really should not be burning candles if you are not looking at them. So I know that uh, Bayberry candle in the, the uh, visit, visitor's bathroom and all that uh, is a wonderful thing, but those are the ones that will get you in trouble. Use uh, lights tested for safety by a nationally recognized organization. I think, you know, we uh, there are those big bulb traditional antique Christmas lights. They remind you of the Christmases of your youth. They also burn. They mm-hmm. set things on fire. Mm-hmm. We had some Christmas ornaments that they we would put them above the light, and the rising hot air would actually make, make them spin. Make them spin. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so, again, th- those are, uh, thank goodness, we now have LED lights much safer, uh, much less uh, likely to uh, start fires or melt things. Uh, and we er- strongly encourage our Health Matters fans uh, to trade in those old, wonderful, traditional antique lights and get some that are much, much safer. All right, that's our sponsor, the uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission, uh, wishing you a hazard-free holiday uh, and reminding you to know before you ho-ho-ho. Now, we talked last time about Parkinson's disease, a degenerative uh, condition affecting mainly the motor neurons, the ones that are in charge of uh, guiding your muscles, making you walk, allowing you the coordination you need to juggle or ride a bicycle or whatever. This was a letter to the editor of Neurology, I ran across it November 27th. I believe it is to be published in the 2020, uh, the January 2020 issue. This is from Switzerland, and they have uh, found nine patients who were receiving deep brain stimulation of their subthalamic nucleus. This is a standard treatment if you, your Parkinson's disease does not respond to medicines. Nine patients who lost their ability to swim. And now, wait a minute. They lost their ability to swim? They had all been proficient swimmers, even after Parkinson's diagnosis. That is, you know, they were stiffer. They were slower, but they could still swim. But when they put the deep brain stimulator in, when they turned it on, they could not swim, literally, to save their lives. So so could they not remember what to do to swim? Did they lose their coordination? What? what? Yeah, I was going to say, did they quit I mean, floating? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, they quit floating. And uh, I, well, I'll, I'll read a couple of cases, and you can see what they are. First of all, case one, 69-year-old man experienced troubling motor fluctuations, and they put in the deep brain stimulator. He owned a house right at the lakeside and was an experienced and proficient swimmer. Feeling confident because he had a good outcome from the brain stimulator, he was walking better, he jumped in the water and would have drowned this man who lived by the lake swam on a regular basis, would have drowned. He could not figure out how to move his arms and legs together uh, in a way that would result in swimming. So it was the, the coordination act of swimming. Then here's another one. There, there were Again, there were nine cases they found. Here's case four, for example. 59-year-old woman was an accomplished swimmer. She had participated in countless competitions. She was swimming even after she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, uh, uh, but uh, obviously her times had slowed a little bit. Once again, she was no longer able to swim after they put in the deep brain stimulating. She practiced swimming with her therapist, but never came close to her previous level of expertise. That is, they finally, they retaught her how to swim on a slow basis. And then a uh, 61-year-old woman, uh, same thing, life-saving diploma, uh, meaning that she participated and she knew how to, she was a lifeguard, basically. Uh, she would participate in swimming competitions crossing Lake Zurich there in Switzerland. She had uh, deep brain stimulator implanted, 
She could only swim for about a quarter of a kilometer, and then uh, it felt very awkward, and she just could not keep going. All the patients tried switching their deep brain stimulators off. The swimming returned, but their walking slowed. They felt overall their life was better with a stimulator than without it, but they could not swim while the stimulator was in place. Now, you know, first of all, this is an amazing thing. The idea of forgetting how to do some act like that. That's not Parkinson's disease. And Parkinson makes it harder, but you don't forget how to walk. You just you your your walking is much stiffer and you do not swing your arms freely, but you can walk. What if you could forget how to smoke? You know, when we think about brain stimulation, we always think about what you're going to get. You're going to be smarter. You're going to be able to remember more things. You can play video games faster. Yeah, but I'm I'm talking about, you know, we've we've had this thing. uh, For instance, the Alzheimer's patients, they they wear their magnet hats, and uh, they they have better cognitive abilities on those hats, says one study, a small study, but it's ongoing. But when we stimulate the brain, in most cases, we feel like we are, in fact, improving outcomes. Overall, these people were better off with the stimulator than without it. But the idea that a stimulation could make you forget how to do a complex thing, you're right, then what would happen, say we stimulate, Michael Jordan, and all of a sudden he didn't know how to dribble the basketball. That could be a problem. It could. But if we can make him forget how to smoke, and yeah. he's a smoker, that's if a we, good thing. If, if it just smoking felt awkward and you could not figure out how to get a cigarette up to or your mouth. eating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, could we stimulate and make you forget how to eat a taco, for Well, Because eating a taco does require some skill. Don't they really just need to have you eat only one taco and not four? Well, no, but the is thing true. is, they couldn't swim. It's not like they could only, well, one of them could swim a short distance, but she said it was very awkward. So I, don't, I think it's either you're going to eat a taco or not. You, you can't just uh, limit your tacos. <laughs> well, I'm saying <laughs> that in that case, you've got to go for the no taco option. You know, all of a sudden, it doesn't make any sense. Which way do I turn my head? How do I hold the taco? I, I, don't, I can't do this anymore. Well, and suddenly, tacos are off the menu. Well, now what are we going to eat on Tuesdays? <laughs> <laughs> That's just, exactly right. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I just think about this, uh, to forget something as complicated, and and it is, you think about swimming, you've got to kick at the same time you move the arms, you've got to compensate for pulling your arm out of the water, and then putting it back in, and pulling, and and you don't think about those things, it's not like when you take a a stroke, then all of a sudden you roll over on your back, and you can't get back because you took a, a swimming stroke, you know how to compensate, it's just a simple thing, literally, it's like riding a bicycle. Which you could also forget, I guess, uh, if uh, we stimulated the right part of your brain. I had never thought that brain stimulation might actually lose something. I always thought, well, it would just augment or amplify. And we're hot on the trail of that. But the idea we could lose something, absolutely amazing. And that was uh, in neurology. And I think that will be published in uh, uh, January 2020. Can you you stimulate the brain and lose a memory? That has not been done. But it would seem like that is possible. If you change the connections, and I think the connections are what creates a memory. Now, I, I will freely admit to our fans, I know nothing about the physiology of memory. You are literally not a brainiac. No, I, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> Nicely okay, done. Just laugh all you want to at that, Mr. I, I will be. I will tell you, when I hear that your house exploded on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, no, no. I always go to somebody else's house when we do that. <laughs> you got to be saying. smart about these things, Tony. <laughs> somebody else. All right. And then I've got another case report because I don't know why. They just came in and they were really good. And I thought this would be fun for Well, Christmas. it's always that time of Thanksgiving, the hallowed thanksmas. Yeah. 
Yeah, first of all, I'm busy doing other stuff. But secondly, then you you, you thank God that you know how to swim, and you probably won't forget I mean, how to swim. It's full of tricks and treats. Yeah. Well, this one. There were a couple of things I noticed about this. First of all, the the uh, the person who wrote this, uh, wrote to the New York Times, and uh, I, I came across it November 21st, uh, was Dr. Jay Wellens. And he's a pediatric neurosurgeon at Vanderbilt University. And, you know, I, I have a... I wouldn't say a soft spot in my heart, but I did to train at Vanderbilt. Uh, so he and a nurse practitioner uh, that he had never met before were flying uh, <laughs> in a, a, in a, a they, for traveling for Thanksgiving on an aircraft. There was that overhead page. Is there a doctor on board? And apparently they were in the kind of airplane that doctors will fly in, uh, as opposed to some others. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> standing joke, you know, you, you're okay. not going to get mm-hmm. a, a on the discount mm-hmm. airlines. You're probably not going to see nope. a lot of doctors on board. Nope. But at any rate, they were. And uh, a passenger was a middle-aged man covered in blood holding a cantaloupe-sized wad of tissue, and blood was pouring out his nose as if a spigot had been opened. Uh, he pinched the man's nose, took a quick history. He had hit his face on the counter earlier, but it didn't bleed then. He drank uh, a vodka. I guess he was maybe in first class, and his nose opened up. So the pediatric neurosurgeon said, I bet he increased his blood pressure enough to light up that plexus of veins in the back of his nose, and now he can't, we can't stop it. They were pinching it, and the blood was still pouring out of the man's nose. Uh, so um, he thought, well, I can lower his blood pressure. And he asked the man, do you have your blood pressure medicine on the, the uh, uh, plane? And the man said, no. He, his blood pressure medicine apparently was in a suitcase or so he was flying home. Bag. Check, yeah, check bag. Yeah, check bag. Um, at any rate, I, one of the things that I have learned over and over and over again, both personal experience, I, I have diverted a, a plane <coughs> one time uh, due to a medical condition, but also in my reading is uh, a plane is an absolute pharmacy if you just ask the passengers. Of course. There are virtually everything you could possibly want on that plane somewhere uh, in, in terms of medications because uh, you've got uh, 100 people or plus and uh, they all uh, have all kinds of different medicines that they, they take on the plane. If this man had presented to an emergency room in the 1980s when I started my practice, he would have gotten cocaine. Cocaine mm-hmm. clamps down the blood vessels. It was the thing to do for nosebleeds. I suspect they found cocaine? <laughs> no, did they find cocaine? No, no, that would be an even better story. They did not okay. find cocaine. Right. But what they did do... Uh, well, there which, was probably some on there. Yeah, right, I'm sure. Uh, in the emergency room now, we use something called Afrin nasal spray, A-F-R-I-N. I'm not endorsing a product, but it's a good product, I'll tell you that. It has oxmetazoline in it. It's sort of like neosinephrine, and it clamps down the blood vessels. So if you have a stopped-up nose and you want to breathe freely for a couple of hours, you've got, you've got something you need to go to or you're going to want to sleep tonight, you spray a couple of sprays of Afrin up your nose and it works like nobody's business. The ER doctors, since we don't use cocaine anymore, they'll use that for nosebleeds. So what they did, they found a bottle of Afrin spray uh, on the plane, again, uh, polling the passengers. and then 3.2 the, ounce version. Yep. They also had tampons. Yeah, that works. So they took the tampons, soaked them in the Afrin, and they shoved them up the man's nose, and I'm, I'm reading from the report here, as far as humanly possible. Okay. That put the pressure on it, and the blood flow stopped. The combination of an Afrin on a tampon stopped the blood flow. Uh, so this is, again, those of us who do uh, play Nerf uh, football out in the field, those of us who throw jarts at each other. <laughs> These are good things to know <laughs> to if know. you're going to engage in those sort of activities. You never know when a turkey's going to come flying up and smack you in the face and start a nosebleed. Yeah, you do. 
Oh, yeah, you've got pretty good indication when that's going to happen. <laughs> you hear the explosion, you see the oil bubbling. And <laughs> I mean, it, it might even give off some, some whining noise first. Huh? You never know. Okay. You sound like you have experience with Oh, this. no, 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 no. Just, just watch YouTube. Okay. So that's the thing. See, most people watch YouTube to figure out how to do something. Rick has already decided he's going to do it, so he watches YouTube to see what's the worst that could happen doing the thing that he does. I don't even care about the worst. I just want to make sure some bad stuff doesn't happen. <laughs> or, or if it does, you know, where to, you know how to run, uh, where to hide from it. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to move away from case reports. We're going to get into some serious stuff. I'll run these side by side. I'm sorry. Uh, this was November 26, Washington Post and other outlets, USA Today, Los Angeles Times, and Reuters. There was a study in the AMA Journal. Uh, in the United States, death rates from suicide, drug overdoses, liver disease, and dozens of other causes have been rising over the past decade for young and middle-aged adults. And this has driven down our overall life expectancy for three consecutive years. It has not happened before in modern times. HIV AIDS, a brief dip in our life expectancy, but nothing like this. Uh, Previous studies emphasized rising mortality among non-Hispanic whites, but basically this is pretty much everybody. Uh, The highest jump in death rates from 2010 to 2017, 29% has been among people ages 25 to 34. We are losing a generation. This generation did not go to war. They simply uh, are are killing themselves right in front of our eyes. Uh, According to USA Today, the study paints a bleak picture of a workforce plagued by drug overdoses, suicides, and organ system diseases while grappling with economic stresses. We have the worst midlife mortality rate among the 17 highest income countries, despite the fact we lead the world in per capita spending on health care. Our health care is not caring for our health. One of the great frustrations of... At least not in the right ways. Not in the right way. We're not with the, uh, not Our nation's right lifespan reversals being driven by diseases linked to social and economic uh, deprivation. Healthcare system with glaring gaps and blind spots. Profound psychological distress. Now... <laughs> The largest increase in midlife mortality. That's what we're talking about. Young people who should be healthy uh, have adopted habits or have done self-destructive things and wind up dying. The largest increase in that midlife mortality, New Hampshire, 23%, West Virginia, 23%, Ohio, 22%, Maine, 20.7%, Vermont, 19.9%, Indiana, 14.8%, and Kentucky, 14.7%. We, West Virginia and Indiana and Ohio, our neighbors, lead the nation in the, this early to midlife uh, loss of life expectancy. As a matter of fact, uh, I saw this in the, uh, uh, a National Rural Health publication, 33,000 excess deaths between 2010 and 2017 in the AMA Journal article. A third of those occurred in West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. In fact, then, Our part of the nation is dragging down now our national life expectancy with the early demise. New England region had the second highest rates of midlife mortality. That's New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont. So when you look at the groupings of states, this is not in any way evenly distributed. We are in a place that is, in fact, the lead, the uh, four states I mentioned, uh, with Kentucky right there among them, uh, uh, our young people are dying at such a rate that it's having a profound effect on our national life expectancy. I'm surprised by the New England states. Um, 
I think I've been told anyway that uh, rural Maine looks a lot like rural Kentucky. Really? Yeah. Yeah. the The income levels can't be the same. Well, you know, again, you, you're thinking New York, Boston. That's that's a whole different matter. But when you get to Maine, Vermont, mm-hmm. New Hampshire, uh, those are essentially states without a very large economy. Yeah, but socioeconomic has to be different. The per capita, I mean, it has to be. We'll see. We have this thing called the Google. The Google? <laughs> All right. We're going to give Rick a chance to catch up, and we'll talk more about this in our third and final fractional portion. You're listening to Health Matters on Morehead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back. This is the third and final fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Shelley Irving. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver. This is the Fred Cox and True Meaning of Christmas show. Uh, again, Fred Cox, the inventor of the Nerf football, uh, should have some place at your holiday table, uh, preferably pretty far from the turkey fryer uh, because of his contributions to teenage boys and girls. If the weather is good enough to get outside, uh, Nerf football has been on the Weaver family agenda uh, since the 1970s. Our sponsor for the final time, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, wishing you a hazard-free holiday and reminding you to know before you ho, ho, ho. We've talked about the injuries. Again, the tips I wanted to mention, follow the age guidance and other safety information on toy packaging, and I cannot stress this enough, those small parts that could get stuck in a child's throat, uh, nobody under three uh, should be around them, even if they have older siblings. Uh, that can be dangerous. Get the safety gear when you get the the equipment. If you're if you're going to give them a scooter, if you're going to give them a skateboard or skates, get them the safety equipment uh, at the same time. But uh, keep small balls and toys away from uh, children younger than age three and keep deflated balloons away from children younger than age eight. The problem is, uh, even if they're just uh, making fart noises by putting a deflated balloon in their mouth, if they swallow that balloon... Uh, even an eight-year-old can get in serious trouble um, from that. Mm-hmm. Also, don't <laughs> leave food unattended on the stove, a common cause of household fires, reminding you that uh, there are four times the number of house fires resulting from uh, cooking on Thanksgiving Day, and I would say uh, Christmas Day would probably come in second uh, than there are any other day of the year. Also, keep uh, children, uh, plastic bags, uh, paper products, so forth, away from the oven, and then fry the turkey outside away from your home. Do it at your parents' house. Distance. That's true. Rick was miles Way away from, away from home. my home. <laughs> and then uh, as far as decorating, make sure your live Christmas tree has plenty of water. Look for the fire-resistant label when buying an artificial tree. Do not light a candle and walk away. As, quite simply, burning candles should be where you are in the same room, not in uh, somewhere else uh, where you're not watching them. And then finally, uh, use safety-tested lights. And I think the, the big deal here is it's probably time to get rid of those old, antique, beloved lights that are hot uh, and can set fire to things. Uh, these LED lights are much, much safer. That's our sponsor, Consumer Product Safety Commission. Um, I'm going to – I don't know whether to move on or not. Uh, honestly, when you think about uh, uh, where we are here in uh, uh, in this high mortality pocket 
and the East, us and uh, the, the New England states, and the four states uh, next to Kentucky, again, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, uh, with Kentucky, uh, uh, the highest uh, young people mortality rates in the nation, and apparently enough, at least uh, according to the uh, Journal of Rural Health, uh, enough that uh, this uh, could be dragging down our national life expectancies. You think to yourself, well, if you had a place like that in your country where people were dying at a young age and young people were dying, uh, this would command your attention. This would be a national priority. I don't know what the National Guard would do, but we would send it in. You know, Certainly if people were uh, at risk from a flood or from a weather-related event, we would, we would do everything we could to save them. And yet this has persisted for years now. We have been in a crisis situation. The what we call the diseases of hopelessness, alcoholism, drugs, these and suicides. Um, we've had these for years, and we do not see any help on the horizon. There are things we're we're trying to help ourselves, and uh, there are people who are working on this. Uh, but uh, our mortality, our national life expectancy, has yet to even break even from year to year. Uh, so we still have more work to do. And on that, I'm turning to something Rick has been unusually quiet, and so I think it's time to poke him again. This was November 19th, New England Journal of Medicine. With a jart. No. A jart, yeah. Uh, This was with a smartwatch, not just a regular watch, but a smartwatch, Rick. Okay. Uh, You have a a smartwatch or a dumb watch? your smartphone. I would have what you would call a dumb watch. It ticks and tells me the time, and that's pretty much it. Nothing about my sleep habits is not communicating with any national data bank right now in any way. How is the world ever going to know what you do if they can't track you? Do we want to know what he does? <laughs> of course we do. <laughs> the CIA, the FBI, they all want to know what he's doing. <laughs> no, most people just want to make fun of me. It's no threat. It's just stupid is what it is. But they're, these well, no, people— Well, we're talking about smart. Over eight months, uh, these researchers enrolled more than 400,000 participants who— had a uh, smartphone app that would uh, work on an Apple phone and consented to monitoring. To get those numbers is kind of astonishing. We are starting to understand the power of, uh, of Internet and uh, using apps for research. To pull 419,000 people in eight months is extraordinary. Most research that is university-based, uh, you, you can count the number of uh, enrollees in the, the first eight months uh, in, in one hand, something like that. Among those participants who had this smartwatch, 0.52% were notified they had an irregular pulse. And this was uh, 100 plus days, 117, 100 and change days of monitoring. 0.52% were notified they had an irregular pulse. Now, the researchers were also notified. This person has, uh, the watch says the pulse is irregular. Uh, so they did a tele medicine visit. That is, they basically, uh, they, the people didn't have to go to their doctor or anything else. Uh, they talked to a researcher, this uh, 0.52% of 400,000 people. Uh, it was like 2,000 change, I think. Um, and uh, they talked to a researcher, and then they sent them a patch that would, uh, they would slap the patch on, and it would monitor their heartbeat uh, in a more traditional fashion. So when they did that, the ones of the ones who were notified, a third of them actually had atrial fibrillation. 
84% of the notifications lined up with what the watch said in terms of the timing. So when the watch said you had an irregular heartbeat, a third of those people are going to have atrial fibrillation. Now, there's other things that can make your heartbeat irregular. You can have skipped heartbeats or extra heartbeats. There, Some of them are consequential. Some of them are no consequence whatsoever. But there's a one in three shot. If your watch says you have an irregular heartbeat, that you have atrial fibrillation. And atrial fibrillation is a heart rhythm that can throw a blood clot and cause a stroke. This is not something to be trifled with. When, when people have AFib, don't they get really weak and they're really tired and kind of... I mean, doesn't it have its symptoms? Yeah, uh, but it, it depends, Rick. You know, what happens with atrial fibrillation is your heart sort of loses control with the rhythm. For some people, it It's kind of like you dancing. Yeah. Or, yeah, uh, with or without brain stimulation. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. So you just uh, you lose control. And just like me dancing, some people would dance fast and some people would dance slowly. And, and that you case. would just be all over the place. So some heartbeats would speed up, some would slow down. Most young people or middle-aged people, it's faster than your normal heart rhythm. Uh, but for some of my patients, they don't know, especially if they're on certain medications, they may not know that their heart is uh, in or out of its regular rhythm. And I've recommended for all of them, I said, you know, you probably ought to get some type of a watch and monitor it and see if you can see a change on the watch and the heart rate. You recommended a smartwatch to your patients? I did for my patients who have atrial fibrillation or irregular heartbeats. Really? Yeah. You don't think if you were had other patients use it that if they got it, they would know it then? Yeah, but when you look at 0.52%, that's a lot of watches to find a case of atrial fibrillation. Yeah, but I the think other we're watch has gonna, a lot of good purposes. That's just a bonus. Right. I think we're all going to wind up with those watches anyway, and you're absolutely right. This is a bonus. And the thing about it is, I mean, we've not even really started down this road, and already we're one in three I mean, wind honestly, up with atrial Tony, fibrillation. It's only a matter of time before this ends up. These smart watches aren't watches. They're built into your clothing. Mm-hmm. They're built into your shoes or your socks or, gosh forbid, your underwear. We talked about that once. Yes. Um, you know, there it, there will be a time when, when your clothing will have some type of, of physiological monitoring. Now, I know you have a problem with smartphones. And so when I, I deliberately said smartwatch because I knew that would annoy you. Didn't Do bother. you think, Rick, you will wear smart underwear? If someone advertised smart underwear, would you just... There's so they're, many jokes here, Tony. I don't know where to they're start. They're going to put us all in smart jumpsuits. <laughs> I, I just don't want to get Paul in any trouble. Okay. 1984. Yeah. Well, now we talked about it before. They would be unitards. If you look at all the science ah. fiction things, everybody unitards. from other planets and everybody who travels in space wears a unitard. Because those have to be easy to like live in. And yeah. I mean, haven't we learned I mean, anything on, about really? unitards? I mean, honestly, you, you think about that. <laughs> And wow. those things didn't even have zippers. I mean, that's what I'm saying. They, they're easy. They're not easy off. I mean, you know. I mean, How you quickly know. Well, we they get distracted. can't track you if you take it off. I'm so just they saying. They gotta make it hard to get off, right? There, there you will put be on a, a unitard, and we know exactly where you are at all. And times. you can't get out of it. But, but I do believe that that you know there will be a time. Matter of fact, I think now you're seeing. I've seen a lot of uh, ads for like now they're actually putting solar battery or battery powered heaters. USB-powered heaters and jackets, right? So you can actually have a, a jacket that's actually got warmth in it. Could it fry a turkey, you think? Well, it fry you. Just throwing not. it out there. But fry you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that counts. Just don't wear it in the house. Um, but I, but I, I, You're I, right. I mean, in all seriousness, you're right. But, I mean, I think I do believe that, that it'd be very easy. I can see from a physiological standpoint where we can get those kinds of measurements, the rim of a hat. You know, that's another place where you might be able to get some some pulse. You know, you might be able to get a pulse. 
uh, at least a subtle one. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, you know, there's, socks, there's two big arteries that go up the side of your, mm-hmm. your, your scalp, and those would be fairly easy to monitor with a, a snug-fitting hat. Right, you'd have yeah. to have a snug-fitting hat. But I'm just saying I think there are places in a normal wardrobe where you'll start to see some of this smart technology get built into the, to the, to the clothing. Well, they already have smart shoes. Sure. They don't yeah. make you run any better. They just, you know, they, I don't think anyway. I'm unwilling to try. <laughs> you got to think about yeah with the shoes you got to think about whether you I'm uh, trying to be the smart one in that deal yeah <laughs> got to be just be smarter than my shoes uh, I, I, but this was to me it was stunning one they built a, a research trial uh, that got almost a half a million people and it was very very fast eight months they had half a, almost half a million people and then secondly uh, these this app performed amazingly well yeah. Uh, considering I mean, that we we still got some more work to do on my, that. My Fitbit has been tracking my sleep patterns for two or three years now, and it, it's rarely wrong. I mean, I'll look at it and go, yeah, that's right. I, I went to bed then, I woke up then. And, you know, what I may miss is occasionally it'll show me waking up at two or three in the morning for, you know, ten minutes that I didn't really remember. Uh, I mean, but it's th- these things are really accurate. They're getting better and better. Not smarter and smarter, just better and better. And we've got, for Health Matters, we've got one Christmas gift here for our students who are about to enter their final exam week. Is, this, it, is it the fact that we don't know if we're going to be on the air or not? <laughs> just curious. I, yeah. I, I'm just... <laughs> we are, after all, getting close to that holiday season when uh, you get a rare and welcome break from Health Matters. But before you do, uh, we do have this to tell you. This was uh, from Newsweek. Uh, actually, it came from the University of Leeds in the United Kingdom. But Newsweek reported it. Students who skipped breakfast did not perform as well on standardized tests as those who ate a morning meal. Uh, and it's a little more complicated than that, but basically I got their methods. Uh, it was reported in Frontiers in Public Health, a journal I have never heard of before, uh, but it got reported uh, out of University of Leeds. Uh, they had uh, adolescents aged 16 to 18 years. Uh, there were 294, and 77% of them were females. They completed a retrospective seven-day food diary. They said, what did you eat over the last seven days? And I think that's why they had so many females, is I don't think the guys even remember, remember. what they ate. Yeah. But the, 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 the women at least could figure out what, the, in retrospect, looking backwards, what did they eat over the past seven days? Uh, breakfast defined as any food or drink containing over 5% of your total energy consumed up to 10 a.m. So that's a pretty loose definition. If you had a, I don't know, a, a, a big gulp of... Uh, uh, of uh, Mountain Dew. So it so didn't look at nutrition. No, just, just did you eat something before 10 a.m.? And you can see right there where you're getting at is, well, you'd have to be a, you'd have to be up before 10 a.m. to eat something. So it may very well be if you would just get out of bed, uh, you would do better on your exams. Mm-hmm. I could see that. But mm-hmm. uh, this is what they got. And most of those people, I'm sure, ate something, a Danish or a Hot Pocket or a Pop what, Whatever tart. they eat in Leeds. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, those who rarely consume breakfast on school days had a significantly lower point score. Um, the lower middle socioeconomic status adolescents who rarely consume breakfast were significantly less likely to achieve higher mathematics grades. Um, the odds ratio, as a matter of fact, is uh, about 33% of them uh, would get uh, uh, 33% less. Uh, than the the ones who consume breakfast. So uh, this message, as you're preparing for your final exams, uh, to all of our young uh, starstruck college students and high school students who listen to Health Matters religiously, uh, get a good breakfast, 
at least during exam week. That has nothing to do with the research because these people can, they, again, they, the week before, you got to start now. Except yeah, start by the time now. you hear this show, you probably are well into your final exam. And eat something good for you, not Mountain Dew. Uh, they didn't say that, but. I'm going to say that. <laughs> the, the lawn jart woman <laughs> is suddenly concerned with the public health. Yes, I am. <laughs> I, 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 I love it. All right. So, and I, I want to. This would be a perfect place to end a mirror, a true meaning of Christmas show. Uh, this is from ABC News. Commonwealth Fund uh, uh, is a uh, a group that does reports on health care. More and more middle class Americans are paying a greater percentage of earnings for health care. They looked at 40,000 private sector employers as well as income data from the Census Bureau. In 2008, middle class workers spent about 7.8% of their household income on premiums and deductibles. But by 2018, we were up to 11.5%. Essentially, a 4% of your income more on deductibles and uh, insurance premiums than you would have spent uh, 10 years ago. I am quoting from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. This is the ghost of Christmas present. Ebenezer Scrooge says, No, no, kind spirit. Say Tiny Tim will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none of my race, returned the ghost, will find him here. What then? If he be like to die, he better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the Spirit and was overcome with penitence and grief. The Spirit went on, Will you decide what men shall live and what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than the millions like this poor man's child. Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. His Ebenezer Scrooge, I am convinced, would be an insurance company executive. Or a farm pharmaceutical Or a pharmaceutical representative. One of the two. Executive uh, in uh, 2019. And on that thought, Rick, can you get us off the air? Special thanks to our Morton State Public Radio producer, Shamari Mosley, and to Eric Bilbrey, who wrote our Health Matters theme song, and to you, our loyal radio fans. Remember to show your support for Health Matters by visiting our digital empire. To listen to the show, go to wmky.org, or visit us on Facebook just do a search for HM Radio Show. For our radio crew and the supportive folks at the Northeast AHEC, thanks for listening to our show, and remember... Health Matters is used to treat anemia, which is a lower-than-normal number of red blood cells caused by chronic kidney disease or caused by chemotherapy. Health Matters should not be used for the treatment of anemia if you have a cancer that has a high chance of being cured. Health Matters has not been proven to improve quality of life, fatigue, or well-being. Health Matters may cause serious side effects that can lead to death for people with cancer. Your tumor may grow faster and you may die sooner if you choose to listen to Health Matters. Your health care provider has received special training in order to recommend Health Matters and will talk with you in detail about these risks of our show. For all people who listen to Health Matters, including people with cancer or chronic kidney disease, you may die sooner if you are listening to Health Matters to increase your red blood cells to the same level found in healthy people. Blood clots may happen at any time while listening to Health Matters. If you are listening to Health Matters for any reason, talk with your health care provider about whether you need to take a blood thinner to lessen the chance of blood clots during or following our show. If you know you are allergic to latex, talk to your health care provider before listening to Health Matters because the cover on your radio probably contains latex. Whatever you do, do not take Health Matters lying down. Get out this week, make a healthy change in your life, and tune in next week for more exciting news from the world of medical research on Moorhead State Public Radio. Support for Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org.